Do you work always on Cintiq? Mm, I mainly use it as a second monitor to watch Netflix. This is episode number 36 of the Let's Talk Retouching podcast, the show in which we talk all about retouching and post-production. This is the podcast in which we take a deep dive into common retouching techniques, best practices and have you peek behind the scenes of the image-making process. This show is brought to you by our high-end retouching studio boutique retouching and the online educational platform learnpostproduction.com. My name is Daniel, I am your host and the founder of the studio boutique retouching. Before we get started with today's episode though, I want to remind you that producing such a podcast takes quite some time and dedication on our side. So if you appreciate what we're doing here, if you enjoy listening to the show, and if you get some value out of it, I'd be happy to know you hit that subscribe button in whichever podcasting app you're using and for you to become a long-term listener of the show. And with all of that out of the way, let's jump right into today's episode, which is the second part of our interview we had with my dear friend Natalia from the UK. So when was the time that you pushed through being a student and becoming a, like a, yeah, a working retoucher? Was that during a university or was that after university for you? Yeah, I think it was during university. As I said, I graduated in 2015 and I remember registering myself as a self-employed in 2014. I also remember... I mean, it's great to have amazing friends. Um, me and Sienna were sitting in, uh, and we're writing an essay for work. And then uh, from one of the photographers that I've been kind of trying and, uh, ex you know, building my experience with, he had a potential editorial thing for Cosmopolitan. And I was like, oh, crap, I have this essay to write. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Like, deadline is here and there's this amazing opportunity and I will have to say no. But Sienna supported me. She's like, don't worry. And she's like, you tell me, I'll sit here next to you, write, and I will help you, like, finish writing it. You just need to talk to me and you can, like, retouch it. Don't, she, was, she said, don't miss this opportunity. Take it. Um, so I did. And, um, and since then, yeah, I've been... I've been trying to take as many opportunities as I can. I still to this day take free work and I know a lot of people talk. Oh, don't say that you're going to get a lot of requests. <laughs> oh, well, it's fine. Like you do you. I, I, I still like doing it, especially I have so much commercial work coming in. I sometimes get so tired of it. So just for the sake of doing something different and fun, I still take free work and I still think there's so much for me to learn so i do i mean it's not hindering me which is I incredible think. to notice for someone who has worked on covers for l i think woke as well yeah i just haven't put it out yeah so so I, bad sorry <laughs> so yeah i mean you have worked on covers for vogue l uh cosmopolitan as you said obviously uh schön magazine uh, you've done beauty campaigns and stuff. There's still something to be said about someone who has done that, saying, oh, there's still so much for me to learn. There is, and I can't stress this enough. And, you know, we know the main approach to 
retouching, skin cleaning, Dutch Japan, color correction, blah, blah, blah. But there is certain things that just little tweaks, not in technique, but approach, how people may use the same curves to do something else. That I'm like, oh, that's actually so good. For example, before when I used to do masks, I only knew how to do it with pencil, but then I discovered channels. And then in channels, uh, you would draw, and I was like, oh, it's so you have to be so meticulous. But then uh, I saw someone using, you know, the dodge and burn the tool itself to use that in masking to perfect the mask. That sped up. It's those little things that people don't sometimes mention and uh, forget to mention that they're using, or it's somewhere in another tutorial and you don't think about it, you just think, oh, that's how I've been masking everything and I'll keep doing it. But it's those little things that change or even problem solving, which is kind of my favorite. The most I have learned about retouching is problem solving for a client. I don't lie if I can't do something, especially the beginning. If I didn't know something, I said I would experiment and I think I have an idea how to do it and I'll come back to you. And it usually have worked out. And if it didn't work out, what amazing. Yeah. Uh, sorry. But wrong. then there's uh, also this, if you are confronted with editing a series and there is something you haven't figured out yet, there are people who might just go on doing the thing that, that they've always done. And it might even take them quite some time to get it finished. Or you might start testing what you could do differently And once you have figured that out, it's going to save you so much, not only for that series, but maybe in the future, because you have this one new approach or one new tool added to your toolbox. Definitely. And that's how we have gathered the most, I guess, valuable little snippets and skills. So even like approach of thinking about a problem or a certain thing in retouching is, is that problem solving everything from, oh, this they put too much uh, product on an eyebrow so there's now it looks too heavy how to make it look less like you can't remove the actual makeup from it once it's applied but how to make it look as if it's less heavy how to do all these little things how to i, I can't even think like so much but problem solving is probably the best learning that would um have help me to progress quicker is problem solving for a client or my own images there. Yeah. I and as you said, it, it requires you to ask questions to yourself, like how, how do I make the makeup lighter? How do I make the skin look more moist? And how does this translate to something technical I can do to the image? Right? Yeah, definitely. And also if one thing I can stress, if it doesn't work, To like at that day that you're trying to do it and you're getting all stressed out just go to sleep and for me it always worked i went to sleep next day i figured out don't know without a fault your brain has figured it out uh, overnight it's also in terms of learning i know uh, your brain does process or one's brain does process so much information uh, throughout sleep definitely i mean the amount of compositing that I had to do like in some beauty retouching and just figure out like trying to replace this weird matted hair and trying to figure out where to take it from and 
how to fix this and that problem and how to fix this and that makeup issue. It, it actually quite a lot of fun sometimes because when, I mean, I love beautiful images where makeup is just right, the skin is glossy and glowy, everything is perfect. You just need to do a little bit of retouching because, you know, sometimes those images, there's just so much makeup. And I, what I also learned is your client's idea of natural retouching is actually maybe very different to what you think that natural is. But yeah, um, sometimes the problem solving is fun. But client communication is a big one, right? How we communicate our expectations. Because as you said, I also had that a lot of time when they say, oh, just retouch a little bit. It has to look natural. And then you do what you think looks natural and really keep it natural. And they're like, have you even done something to the image? Yeah. Or yeah. they are asking to have it look natural. And then you, you give it to them and they say it's over retouched already. So there is this wide for variety usually, of expectations. Yeah, for me, it's usually the first one. I, I do the natural and they're like, let's remove this crease. Let's remove this. This one is greasy. This one like, um, um, and it's like, well, then it's going to be too much. And sometimes they want to keep a natural initial file and the makeup is there's so much to fix that It's not that you can't keep an actual, like you have to, like if to do a professional, you have to, there still will be a lot of work to do because there's so much to fix in order to make it look reasonable. I think some photographers or clients, they don't understand is that we fix and polish a lot of things and it takes time, even though you don't necessarily see that in an end result as something that has been touched. Yeah. Definitely. Especially when a client comes like, oh, her skin is really good. So I know a lot of retouching you need. But I'm like, there's half of other stuff that does need to be fixed. And my favorite is when you fix crappy makeup and then you see they make makeup artists. I'm not trying to be rude. Like, I'm happy for them. I do understand um, there's time limits. Sometimes you have to do it quickly. There's no time to perfect it. It's all about putting it on. But it's fine. I just laugh about it. I'm, I'm not angry or anything. It's funny. It's like, oh, I saw this image and you straight away. It was your work. <laughs> like, I know that this lip line was janky yeah. as hell. And then on Instagram, people are commenting like crazy. Oh, this is so perfect. This is so perfect. And thinking like, oh, if you guys knew what was done to the image to make it look like this. And, um, but yeah, as you said, the reality is on set. Sometimes obviously some, the application is limited. And I also, uh, when I take like once a year and we're doing makeup, I always communicate is like, Hey, If you are trying to do this, uh, don't because it's much easier, much more consistent for me to do this to her skin instead of you trying to fix it with makeup. But then as a retoucher, you're not usually on set, so you can't communicate. It's like, yeah, but it, the reality is like sometimes they, as a makeup artist, they, they see something in the skin they try to fix. And then obviously there are limits in how, how they can apply something to the skin because they can't necessarily go back in history like we can in Photoshop. They can't zoom in and zoom out to make the, the image and the face or anything work how, how your hand works. They have to work with what they have. And sometimes you apply like glossy stuff that is or dripping stuff that you are so limited and it's so time sensitive how it, how it holds on the skin 
that obviously mistakes are happening and you can hardly ever get like the perfect time and something you haven't seen in the image or on the face uh, while while they were shooting. So yeah, I also sometimes wish like we could be on set and think, hey, I can do this. Yeah, we're going to be most pain in the ass. Like people like this will be take, but you know, but also no one like you have the fresh makeup. No one really uses usually their first hundred pictures, you know, photographer needs to get into the groove. So is the model like warm up at that time, makeup's already starting to melt. But, but so no one, you don't usually get fresh, fresh, fresh makeup. And also for me, what I've noticed is um, with the rise of Instagram is the heavy makeup. So um, I had a project where they had this uh, makeup artist who, the, who does stunning, stunning makeup. And it looks amazing on Instagram, but it's so heavy, so heavy. And those high definition images, the foundation was great. I had to, I wanted to retouch it lightly, but there was no way. There was so much cracking and dryness to remove because the revisions kept coming back. We need to smooth this. I can see powder. And like, well, I have to research to hell then, I guess, to make the client happy. Yeah, sure. I mean, obviously, yeah, your client is paying the bills, basically, and uh, as long as they are happy. But yeah, it, it is a trend of having very heavy application of makeup. And that's how they kind of try to stand out. Because obviously, if you put nude makeup or very little stuff on Instagram with, yeah, very detailed, very skilled application of makeup, it's not going to be recognized, right? So makeup companies especially are trying to push that and trying to get attention with it. And obviously, I personally, I wouldn't like that that much, but then I'm not in the market of, of uh, buying their makeup and applying it uh, anyways. But yeah. It's something we have to remember compared to being in the arts field. We are here to help to sell their products. Yeah, I just try to make suggestions when I see it's necessary to the client, but it's up to them if they want to take it. I don't try to push my ideas because I I obviously like doing less retouching and a certain type of skin and the way it's been treated with makeup. But if the client had their own vision, how I am to take it away from them. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's also a fine line as how how you give feedback on stuff. That's very complicated as a service provider, right? So what's your preference if if you were to retouch the images? So I can assume it's it's not heavy makeup, but you still like favor the beauty images, right? You know what? I actually didn't favor any of this now wasn't particular I, I did like fashion and beauty but i somehow fell into beauty most heavily and that's where majority of my clientele is and then fashion it's just kind of happened that way i still would say the same i do like both i really do like both i if I do too much retouching on beauty, I want to do some fashion. When I do too much fashion, I want to go back to beauty. I like both of them equally and um, would like to have a bit more of a healthy balance doing both of them um, since beauty is taking majority of my time. I mean, there's nothing wrong with liking two fields. I mean, there's so many more and there's a reason why 
why we are doing what we're doing, right? Yeah. To be fair, I would love to explore to go into product retouching. Just want something to try. If well, more frequency separation. <laughs> I mean, with products, you have a lot of uh, similar surfaces. So the issue I have with frequency separation on skin is because the texture is constantly changing. Uh, an object that is either one or the other material usually doesn't change. So then frequency separation is actually quite easy to use. Exactly. That's why it's really interesting when uh, people learn retouching, they're like, how do I do this? Or how do I do this? Like something specific. And uh, that's why when I used to teach, I would say, you have to think of what kind of problem it is. Is a color problem? Is a texture problem? Is a light problem? Or is it like all of the above? So when I teach, what's interesting to me is when people come and ask, oh, how do I remove or retouch this particular thing? What I try to teach is you need to think of um, what kind of problem it is. It could be a problem in the texture or of color or luminosity, or it could be all of those three things above, because I don't specifically know how to approach a specific area when I problem solve. I just uh, look at it, I try to deconstruct it and see what tools I have in Photoshop and how I can approach to fix it. Is the texture needs to be fixed or match? Is it, do I need to make it lighter or darker? Is the color is mismatching? Because when you deconstruct it, it's easier to fix it, replicate it, adjust it. Anything from lashes to clothing to hair, you name it. Well, it's, it's a fundamental thing thing here that you uh, that you touched there are tons of especially free tutorials on stuff like how to retouch eyes how to brighten yeah. eyes and stuff but yeah. here's this really the right question to ask right exactly and that's what i felt uh is missing in a lot of tutorials is they go to specific like to remove armpit crease or how to remove this but i think in every of that question even if the person will look specifically for that you need to talk broader as you said the the other question is that when there is a tutorial how to brighten eyes is that actually what professionals are doing to images yeah, why are you doing this? What's the reason for, like, why do you need to brighten this? Why are you trying to achieve for the sake of it? Or is it something that will add to the image? Yeah, because then when, when people are learning and they're seeing tutorials, it's like, okay, how to do this? How to do this? They get an assumption of this has to be done to every image. Yeah, definitely. Also, it's, it's exciting. You come and you discover Photoshop and it's exciting. But that's why I think a lot of people who I hear start with Photoshop, uh, like me, they start with photo manipulation, changing backgrounds and putting and drawing stuff on top of it because it's exciting. It's only eventually like it comes down and it's small refinements and adjustments that you do to make it looking professional and more cohesive together. But yeah, and it's also to do with training your eye. They just don't see, because I look at my old images and I still look at my some images for a couple months back and I just don't understand why I did what I did. But that's the artist it's in you, it's like never being satisfied and never being good enough. Yeah, but I also think it's uh, you progressing. 
because we have that everything in our life you look at your old images of yourself you're like jesus what the hell was i thinking who thought that like purple hair was okay or like well who said purple hair like, wasn't okay <laughs> it is okay but you know like you thought something <laughs> yeah. that was amazing like i remember as a girl i discovered a black eyeliner and i thought smudging it all over my eyes half-hazardly was made me look literally like the best thing ever but you look back and you just oh jesus but you know it's progress your taste change so it's the same with photography yes it's an artist in you and you have to look at your work critically but at the same time your eye has developed you see stuff differently and um, also the trends are changing so maybe that was a the current trend to use heavy makeup now it's the trend again to use heavy makeup and you as a retoucher have to you follow what's going on anyway so that alone might change and there's the aspect of you have a personal preference but then there is a trend uh, that you as a professional have to follow so and they might not align they might converge yeah definitely also i noticed you were talking about change in makeup trends throughout the years Definitely. Um, it's interesting to even look at like old campaigns from a specific uh, fashion designer back then and how they use now. There's definitely less retouching. But also it's different. I feel if I have a beauty client from another country, it's uh, one way. Or for example, if I have from LA, which is very social media influenced and there's a lot of indie makeup companies, it's way more heavy. The retouching is required to be heavier. Well, the client think my natural is is not enough, and their natural is not why I consider natural. <laughs> um, and the makeup is heavy, and the retouching is heavier because that's what the client wants, and that seems like everyone is doing. Even though, yeah, I try, <laughs> I really try to do less, but then revision comes through. Like we need more. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> she's basically gonna have no creases. <laughs> Yeah, but there's just so much you can do. And yes, retouchers, we are at the end of the chain, basically. And we're not influencing the trends. So we can still try to push our, not necessarily agenda, so, but what we think is right. And yeah. uh, have you ever been confronted with something that was asked by a client where you said it's like, no, kind of a moral issue to go that far with an image? No, I haven't had anything like this happened to me luckily um i only had if it was a specific request and that was not possible to do in photoshop because there's limitations but luckily no i haven't had anything too drastic but then you have your your own taste and if your client is saying oh we demand more you are like stepping back and saying okay you're the client you are giving uh you are setting the boundaries and I just step back and do what, what I'm paid to do. So usually I do what my client asks. I try to do somewhere in the middle. I can show them and say, look, we could approach slightly like this. And if they don't like it, well, then I do what they want. If they want all the creases completely gone, then they have to go on. I do somewhere in a halfway. Like, look, if we don't completely remove or slightly reduce it, it still looks more perfect but you know we're still retaining this natural appearance so i also try to to because client education is also very important i learn a lot from my clients but i think i need to show them as well because 
what's possible and what I think could be better. And uh, I constantly make some suggestions and sometimes they get completely ignored and I'm completely fine with it. Like, that's not what she sees or he sees. And I'm fine with it. You mentioned in university you haven't really been taught of how to run a business. So how has that changed for you? You were asked to set up your business and had to figure out on your own how to do that. So how has that changed and what what were kind of stepping stones you have to, yeah, overcome? Yeah, you just try a lot of stuff and it doesn't work and you adjust. I started as a self-employed and now nearly coming to a year, I have transitioned to being a limited company. My taxes used to be crying literally every year because not only I hate doing them, I just want to do everything right. I'm just waiting. I'm just so worried. I'm scared. I know HMRC is coming knocking at the door. Because I'm like the worst person. I'm not trying to blag anything. <laughs> Don't think anything. But I'm just like scared of authority. I need to do everything properly. Everything needs to be logged in. And I hate it there. And it's stressing me out. I would go on an official website. I read it. I get three different meanings from one thing. And I still don't understand it. And I'm panicking. But now I've got an accountant. So my, it was my first year without crying. I don't know why I did. I, did, I haven't got one before. So And then again being a business owner is stressful so yeah. there's no way around that i mean in business there are ups and downs currently we are in the corona lockdown crisis and a lot of business are struggling but we we always have times where things go more smoothly and especially when starting out it's not easy no matter what you're doing and sometimes there is this wishful thinking of how running a business would be and then there's the reality of it which is not necessarily pretty all the time. Definitely. And it's just, again, it's basically putting off fires constantly. You have one problem rise and, 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 and you deal with it. I think each person has some sort of core values that they have and how they want to run the business. So I run mine based on my values, so what I think right. And so far it's um, served me really well. But yeah, it's just literally, I, I, I don't know. Like, I genuinely do not know a lot of this stuff. I try to do, I research what I can. I deal with it as I can and I learn on the go. Because you look at any in, person who started a business, half of the time they say, I don't know, no one taught us. It's not something that gets taught in school, how to run a business. I don't know. And you don't. And even if you go on a course, it's something on paper is not exactly the same what happens on an everyday basis if there's a conflict between a client you deal with it if there's another problem you deal with it i'm spending more time on now finances and looking into how to invest back into the business and yeah i'm just learning as everyone else and just one day at a time i know it's not in the most inspiring way It's fine. I mean, obviously we have to get work done and retouching isn't, uh, it isn't as retouching wasn't time consuming. It can be. So as a business owner, not having someone take care of your finances, so you have to do it yourself. And obviously you have to manage your time, uh, the work you have to get done and the business side of running the business obviously takes time too. And, and then goes a lot of 
figuring out uh, in how to make sites work for you. Is there something that helped you on the way of running a business? Is there are there some tools that you are using that made it much easier now for you? Something like that. so. Business wise, I use a Google Calendar. I sometimes slip off uh, when it gets during busy periods, but usually I I block out my entire day and what I want to do. I try to do by week, but Jesus, it's I never know. It changes constantly. It changes constantly. I think this is how my week is, and I'm still bad with uh, I over estimate how much i can get done i'm just overly enthusiastic i'm like i'll be able to do this and this and that and i'll squeeze another one in and here forgetting that i actually need to eat and sleep as well but yeah i just i just that been really good because usually normal to-do list which i still do when i get really crazy busy and i don't have time to uh, do the calendar the problem with to-do list is you're like oh i don't have time today to do this Oh, I don't have to squeeze this in. But if you block out your entire calendar, you do start to notice that you have an hour here or an hour there, or you can see that you're spending too long time on specific tasks where it doesn't need to be just because you're daydreaming or getting distracted. So it's easier to see that you actually have time and you can't really put it off. You have to do. But it's something that um, happens to a lot of people to get lost in terms of not figuring out how to be time efficient and it happens to us during retouching too sometimes as you have phases where i don't know you're just a little bit slower and you're not as focused and you're not as critical with yourself of uh, keeping to your time schedule and that's very difficult sometimes as a retoucher definitely some days are better and uh, I sometimes I'm trying to become better to myself not to be so strict with myself because I can't expect myself to constantly perform at 100% but it's just not realistic not all days are good days and I take my work really seriously but some days it's just very difficult to stay concentrated I don't know the lack of sleep or something happening somewhere else and they just no matter why, you just keep constantly getting distracted and your mind is wandering somewhere else. And instead of taking this much time, you're still sitting on the same image and just dragging your heels with it. So, but calendar really helps. And another thing is in terms of financing, so I use accounting software, zero. But other than that, let me think. I don't think I use anything else in terms of business running. So... So for my business, I have a list uh, of stuff that I would like to get achieved in my business or I would like to do. They don't have a specific timeline, kind of. So whenever I figure something out or just I feel like I have a little epiphany moment, something that I started when I used to do one-on-one -on -one and there's certain ways I thought of something that could be easier to explain to someone or to do, I put it there. So it's little like one line sentences, oh, this is this, or I noticed something that could be done differently and, like, oh, and, I, and I've put screenshots and I've written like, oh, I discovered if I use this, this was better and quicker or had a better outcome. And, and, and I use stuff like that and I keep like dumping this ideas, maybe eventually to turn, because I would love to go back into social media and maybe put some educational material out there with little tips and if it will help anyone that would be amazing listen 
Let me start at least posting so people know that I exist. Can force ourselves <laughs> to uh, both you force me to do it and I force you to do it. To be fair, yeah, because I, I, I had one of the photographers he was like, just send me your password. I'm going to stop posting for you. Just like waiting for you. Just you have way too many excuses. I'm like, but no, I'm like, I'm so busy. It's all crap. Uh, I do have time. It's just my own like, anxiety and all this stuff. Couple notes, uh, social media to do list. So you have a social media to do list, but you're not getting anything. Yeah, done I know, as... I know, okay. I know. But certain stuff were ticked off. I'm just gonna run in general, like the social media to do list. Uh, I ha you have different profiles, like you can have website, you can have LinkedIn, you can have Behance or Instagram, Facebook, and it's stuff like update the website, put the latest stuff, uh, remove irrelevant information, delete all profiles. In my productivity improvements, it's another note I have is like certain stuff that I wanted to do. For example, one in here is when I switched to working in Capture One, it was just like, I, I took it as it was, but eventually I have decluttered it. After using it for a while, you, you know which panels and which uh, sliders or which parts of Capture One you use. So I have decluttered it and I kept only the stuff that I use. So again, to streamline my process, to make it quicker, to only keeping the stuff that I need. To make sure like I have my workspace backed up, I have my brushes, favorite brushes that I use that are backed up. Especially with it Photoshop, sometimes it, sometimes there is an update that just messes everything and you, you lose all your workspace oh my God. and your actions. And then I remember back in the day they advertised, oh, we now have the cloud and you can back up your settings and your keyboard shortcuts and all of that stuff into the cloud. And then there was a new major update and they said, oh, we're scratching that feature of the cloud. We don't save uh, that stuff. <laughs> I have to rebuild everything. But tell me about it. I'm on a Photoshop 2017 still. I did it 2020. Then it was a major update. It started lagging. I was mid campaign trying to retouch it. I got freaking angry. I went back to 2017. Still best version for me. I got I very it. angry about how they messed with the healing brush tool. But speaking of tools, so how, how does your setup look like? How do you, I mean, you, you said already in terms of software using Capture One and obviously Photoshop, uh, what, what else are you using? So my physical setup in the desk is very simple. I keep everything very clean, barely anything on a, on a desk. There's only keyboard, mouse, tablet, and a screen. I can't, um, I'm the same around the house. It has to be very clean, otherwise I get irritated and I can't concentrate. I feel like there's so much going on there for a shop that everything else for me needs to be very basic and simple. So um, I don't get distracted. Yeah, you're using a Wacom tablet? Yeah, I use a Wacom tablet. Um, it is, let me turn it around and see. Intuos Pro. Yeah, oh, sorry. Um, yeah, I'm using this one. My first one was a bamboo pen. The only reason I have this um, Intuos one is I want it in a context in retouching. So, and I, I do like the pen, it's a bit nicer, but other than that. Do you also use different pens or different grips for it? I do. I, I actually, I use the Flex Nib one. Uh, I, I think it's like the one with the little white tip. With yeah, the I use on the end. same. I, some, some people hate it, but I kind of like the feedback. I so. really like it as well. That's exactly what I want to ask you, what about your fingers? So I noticed, how old my pen weird? So 
how do people usually hold a pen is between the thumb, uh, index finger and the middle finger, right? So, so the pen rests on your middle finger, right? So I don't do that. My pen rests on my ring finger. I don't know why, because otherwise I get a strain. I've done that all, all my life. I've been like a weirdo doing this. So, but anyway, there's another te technique that I use in school sometimes to uh, mix mm -hmm. up the the way I hold the the pen in general, and it's even more drastic. Instead of putting the pen between your thumb and your index, uh, you can put it between your index and your middle finger, and then holding it basically with three fingers. It, it takes some getting used to it, but it completely changes the way how you, yeah, you, how your whole hand. Is, is something working. to try on it's a bit weird at the beginning but sometimes just to mix things up and to make it easier on your on your hands and knuckles not good way to yeah to mix things but what that's why i wanted to ask so what i noticed on my ring finger over the years of retouching is first i have like a this weird dent on my nail plate that it has disformed it over the years because of a constant pressure <laughs> and also as a girl when i grow up my nails to be long like on my right hand side my nail it's probably eating up your tablet <laughs> but what i also <laughs> use is um the they have these different grips for putting on the pen so i have this really thick uh grip to put on i mean i can't use the uh clicky buttons on it anymore because it doesn't have a space for it Oh, but, uh, no, I can't. That, I need my clicky buttons. Yeah, but that also changes the way how how you hold it uh, and how you apply pressure to the pen. I like to mix things up and uh, have different pens, different different ways of holding it. Oh, do you have also what I call retoucher's elbow? When one of your elbows is like super red um, because you're constantly not my, it? not my elbow, but my shoulder. Uh, I, I get shoulder? strains in my muscles underneath my shoulder blade in the right arm. Oh, yeah, it's interesting because, uh, for example, uh, why it's so different? Because uh, for me, uh, my elbow, I rub material off the fabric. Are you using the tablet in front of you or do you have it on the side where you usually would use a mouse? In front of me, I try it on the side. Uh, see, so that's why you, you are putting your elbow on the desk and then obviously you have to angle up. So that puts more strain on it. And I put my tablet on the side. So my elbow usually rests on my chair's arm. Uh, I try. I want it to work so bad. Yeah. I, can't, yeah, I only do it's it so when diffi I'm... It's difficult to change that because it completely changes how you have to move your arm and your hand. Yeah, I only do it when I work on my mobile setup when I'm traveling. It's different and then the space that is restricted then i if the space is restricted and you work from a laptop and it's further away then it's kind of weird because you have to lean into it so i put it on the side and then i remap the active area but at home no it's in front i feel better eye to hand coordination when i'm retouching so you have a small tablet using it in front of you Let's go over like monitor and stuff because that's the rest of your setup and how you connect to the actual image. So while we're talking about, um, I have PC. I worked on Mac before. I had uh, a laptop as my mobile working setup. But for home, I have a self-built PC. He was helping me to do all the research and everything. And it was quite a fun a little project. And I really love it because my MacBook was just dying. Everything was 
15 minutes just to apply or open like noise filter so oh yeah i, I mean to. yeah sometimes <laughs> i mean time is money and also we get frustrated sitting and not working oh, yes yes exactly because it's all about you know when retouching is going good you you kind of in the in the zone you in the flow and it's just going the time flies by and it, because it's so difficult to reconcentrate and that's why it was difficult to work from home the first year after university i went back to live with my parents is oh can i ask you for five minutes can i ask for five minutes and it's it feels like it's nothing but first those five minutes add up and it's difficult to bring your concentration back and be like what okay where was i so yeah i just have windows based self-built pc I thought it was needed to do because I wanted to work something that could handle my images, uh, open quickly and just didn't want to wait for it. Uh, my screen is, it's ISO. I redecided uh, two years ago to invest into a professional screen. The one with a little self-calibrating oh. thingy that comes yeah. out because I wanted to do the job. So it calibrates every Monday while I go to sleep. It does its job, so I don't have to think about it. So it's quite nice. And I love the hood. Oh, yeah. Reflections are a huge thing. Yeah, constantly. Everyone's like, Natalia, you're sitting in the dark. You're going to ruin your eyes. I'm like, I'm not sitting around. It's, it's, it's correct level of ambience for me. So my eyes are not tired. So the other light doesn't influence talking to which the light. Um, I also have a Lithix light bulb. So it's, it's like Philips Hue is something similar. So I like to use it because I can um, control how light dark is and I control the, the warmth of the light. So it's easier to control my surroundings. Yeah. And then obviously you have the hood on the monitor to minimize the reflections and not having the surroundings influence how you see the image too much. And that's, yeah, that's important. I mean, people, they underestimate how even the light in your room can influence how you see or perceive exactly. the image. Exactly. Right? And I did as well. I remember once back again home when I used to be just out of university living with my parents, my table used to stand just in front of the window. And I remember one day I was editing an image and it was really sunny outside and I edited the image and I looked at it in the evening and the client, client came back and was like, it's so yellow. And I looked at it and oh, Jesus, it was so yellow. But it's so interesting. And that's why uh, I've been exploring, learning and then teaching as well how color perception happens in your brain. And that's, how, that's why it's so easy to fool your own brain or how you see it. That's why controlling your environment is so important. That's why when I travel, there's this thing that I have um, discovered. So uh, I bought it off Amazon. It's kind of like a blackout blind on suction cups, which is for actually for babies. So, you know, babies sleep during the day. So people use, if, if they're traveling, they use those blackout suction cup blinds that attach to the window so a baby can sleep. So I use it in my temporary rented home or when I travel, because you could be somewhere else when you need to control how much lighting is and not all curtains block out the light and you don't want to see in complete darkness, but you want to kind of somewhat control it. So I would take that with me as well, which was really, really useful to, again, to control my environment, to make it workable if I had to work on a go. Yeah, that's super interesting. I've never heard someone doing that, but it totally makes sense. Uh, yeah, it's just that I find myself working quite a lot on a go. I just bring my work constantly with me. So 
trying to find a workaround to make comfortable because otherwise you sit there like squinting and everything is hurting and you get more frustrated and all these laptops have glossy screens and so you're staring back at your it's a nightmare so i i my laptop doesn't have a a, a glary screen so it has a matte screen i specifically it's not the best screen in terms of color rendition but i opted for one that has a matte screen for because i'm going crazy with reflections it's one of my pet peeves yeah i didn't think about it when i was well my my pc screen is obviously um like matte or satin but the the laptop one is is glossy i actually want to ask you how do you find working on 4k for retouching because i have i am not even using 4k so i have a 2k monitor but okay uh, yeah um because i have a cintiq it's so different going from using a monitor to going a display device that you put right in front of you because the these you are used to setting different zoom levels and stuff for how you work and that changes with how big your monitor is and how your resolution is so that might get or might take some getting used to so uh, the reason i'm asking is because i was really interested in what you work on because what i found is i find everything so sharp i end up over retouching images and I was just wondering if you know if people have the same or they, like I don't I couldn't understand why people love it because I was like I just look at the images then back at my desktop workstation and it's it's so over retouched because everything is so sharp and crisp and it looks amazing but then I end up keep uh, I keep seeing stuff that needs to be fixed but actually doesn't need to be fixed. I think the biggest issue there might be that not only the resolution of the display but also the the display is much smaller so you tend to zoom in more for it that might be the reason but but that's what i find the same with my small cintiq that when i have that in front of me i zoom in much further than i'm used to and i retouch much more and i it takes me much more time than using a regular tablet on my screen so yeah, it's it's difficult jumping back and forth, uh, but it's the same with for me. I get crazy working on my laptop because I have to uh, control my lighting, uh, or I might not even be able to control it the same way as on my workstation. So, yeah, there's that to be said. I mean, it's never easy to jump from two different working environments or different devices from one to another and trying to be consistent because most of our consistency comes from working on the same setup again and again and again so what do you use to make sure your files are properly stored and uh, is there a system you're using for that just to go through the files i use adobe bridge to okay wait let me think so my files are all organized I'll go in depth. So all my files are organized pay by year and per month, and then by client and a project of that month. I view files through Adobe Bridge because um, before using a Mac-based system and in Mac through the the Explorer thing, you you could see how PSD files look like, but Windows doesn't have a PSD codec, so you have no clue how it looks like. And um, I started using Bridge, and it's actually quite good. If you set it up the way you like, it's so easy to browse files if everything is organized. 
and then my um, hard drive with work is backed up by using Backblaze. It just goes into a external somewhere cloud-based system. Yeah, it's just a backup system. And then uh, with my other years of files, they are either in external uh, hard drives that I don't use and they just stay in a cupboard, but they're backed up uh, to Backblaze as well. And I reconnect them like every 30 days just to make sure they don't delete them. And then and then I have what you helped me to set up is to set up the RAID system in my computer. So one of my current hard drives where most current work sits is basically duplicated and also backed up to Backblaze. So for people who don't know, so the actual work you're doing on your computer is on a mirrored hard drive. So if one hard drive fails, you still have your data and then you are backing up to external drives and to your cloud system. So uh, if you delete something or your computer fails or anything, you will still have a hard drive in your place. And if your place were to burn down or that hard drive fails, you still have your Backblaze uh, site. Backup. Yeah, mostly Backblaze for the recent stuff. The other hard drives I usually mostly keep for my work for previous year, like 2013, 2016, and stuff like that. And the most recent work is, uh, sits on my current PC because I need to access it, because I need to access it um, more frequently. But that's about it because oh, I remember you were helping me. It's the most difficult thing for me to understand. It was so daunting, but I knew it had to be done. Because there were so many options, I just didn't know what to choose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. But then better to get something done and instead of pushing it away until something happens. And then obviously it's it's too late to decide for something. So, uh, I mean, it might be complicated, but once you have set up a workflow for backing up things, it's pretty much automated and you don't have to care about it for quite some time. Exactly. I mean, I remember once in, um, when I still watched through my MacBook, I spoke to you on a mid-campaign. I was sitting crying, drying it. I managed to. <laughs> I managed to make it work. But don't drink tea while you're retouching. <laughs> yeah, electronics and uh, liquids don't mix well. No. Like, my power button completely died. So the only way I could make computer startup is to make sure it was connected to the main. And from the back, I would disconnect the battery from the motherboard. And then when I would connect it back, it would start up and make sure it never shuts down. So professional. Yeah. Well, it worked. It, it did work. <laughs> I couldn't afford anything else. I mean, we are problems, all of us anyways, as retouchers. So why not in other fields? Yeah. We, we might come to an end here because we have been talking about so many things and it's amazing how much insight you can deliver and I'm sure many people are very thankful to get insights from someone who is actually working in the industry for quite some years and has seen quite some changes. So thanks for taking the time. But for people who are looking up to the work you're doing and want to get there, so is there some advice what advice would you give to such people who are eager to get there? So what should they be looking out for or something? Oh, it would be very, very generic one because it's true. It's always the most simple answers are the ones that are true. Definitely you have to practice like crazy. That is, I stand by it. That's where I got my most knowledge from is by problem solving for a client and new tasks and practicing. I mean, 
right now on a monthly basis, I retouch no less than 100 images per month. And a lot of them are beauty ones. So you get just so much practicing under your belt. You, you have no other way to go. You're only going to go forward and keep advancing. And also keep learning constantly. There could be this little thing that someone does differently that could help you and ask questions. You can always message me. I'm the person who believes like I will help you. I'll tell you everything the way it is. Like, I'm not holding anything back. I'm always available. Oh. That's nice to know. Speaking of website, probably, which is... Yeah, it's uh, natlifretouching.com or natlif is N-A-T-L-Y-F, retouching.com. And same on social media. I may be slow to reply because I get busy, but I will reply eventually if you write a couple of times. <laughs> I mean, people have to be patient, right? Yeah, definitely. I had uh, an experience where I do work weekends. But I had an experience when one particular weekend uh, I was out and a person wrote to me and I haven't replied within two hours. I was like, okay, then you're not interested. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, so, like, sometimes yeah, you get these out. regrets. I was like, I didn't see. Yeah. I didn't even see what he wrote. Maybe at some point we should gather all these weird things that happen to us in business and client relation and put that into one source, which might be very funny to go through. True, actually. It could be. Yeah, why not? Anyway, no, I think it was a very detailed podcast that we have recorded. We went into detail and in so many things. We got so many insights. You gave advice what people should be looking out for. Uh, practice, practice, practice. And yeah, maybe we can find you on your website, on your Instagram. I have to thank you again for spilling all that knowledge, sharing all that knowledge, which no problem. I'm really happy to help. And I would like to sit down with you again, like maybe maybe in a year or something where we could go over, like make a short episode going over changes in the industry or something else. Because like now people got to know you and it's really great to have you put yourself out there here and yeah, share all of what you know. So it would be nice to have you back at some point. Yeah, no problem. Okay. You know how to get me. Yeah, sure. I know. <laughs> Just message me 20 times until I give up. Yeah, I'm just going to message you like a hundred times and sending you cat, <laughs> uh, images of my cat. And Perfect. Great. I'm happy. So yeah, let's wait until we can have you back and see you around. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks for taking the time and talk to you soon. Thank you. So this has been it. Episode number 36 is a wrap. And thanks for sticking around this long. Thanks for tuning in. Before we go, I want to remind you again. So if you like us doing these episodes, please subscribe to the podcast so you can follow up with the upcoming episodes. We publish very irregularly. So it really depends on our schedule. Um, so yeah, that's why you want to make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Another thing I want to remind you is um, if you are into retouching, if you are eager to learn, we have opened up the opportunities to submit images, retouch images on our website, boutiqueretouching.com. You will find it somewhere in the menu. Um, you can again submit your retouch files. We will, depending on the time we have, go through the list of applications and then do a live video critiquing them and giving feedback to the listeners. 
or to the, the followers of us of our channels and if you want to do this yeah just head over to goodiegrid.com and yeah so i would say um stay healthy and i talk to you in the next episode Have you been a guest there? No, no one's inviting me. Why not? Yeah, everyone likes a deep, sexy voice. Yeah. <laughs> it always sounds good. I mean, it would be weird if you had the same voice, but... But maybe I want to. <laughs> yeah, everyone likes a deep, sexy voice. <laughs> it always sounds good. It's getting angry. Really angry. Yeah. When she's hungry. But when my boyfriend gets angry because he's hungry, I call him Jessica. Because <laughs> his name is James. So he becomes Jessica then. He becomes unreasonable. Oh, it's unbearable. It's like a different person. No, but it's so funny.